This is the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. How about my parents with a foresight have given me that middle name? Comes in handy sometimes. Welcome back to episode three of season uno of the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. This is the one where we talk more with Dr. Johan Tridu about all kinds of interesting things. I hope that you will feel free as you're listening to this to hit pause at any given moment and really contemplate some of the depth of the things that he says and that we talk about. And there's several spots in there. One spot for me, it's about 15 or 17 minutes whenever it is that we pick back up into the interview here, where I say something off the cuff, um, trying to be funny. Well, well, obviously I am funny. Everyone knows I'm hilarious. But in addition, it's really interesting. I say something like, and that's why we are a non-denominational church. And the truth is, if you take the essence of all the things we've been saying and you boil it down to the few uh, comments right before I make that comment, Um, That is probably the truest reason why we are currently no longer fitting within our old uh, denominational structure. And again, that's not to paint them in a bad light or anything. It's just to really recognize the shift in the theological thinking um, that we have made. Anyhow, I hope if you uh, enjoy this, uh, as always, that you'll follow me here on SoundCloud. Yes, the podcast has been submitted to iTunes. It'll get there eventually. For some reason, it takes them a while to validate the feed. But thanks so much, and let's get back into it with Dr. Johan. Yeah, I think um, uh, today the struggle we have um, is because we have put so much emphasis on us earning, uh, almost in a sense, uh, even though we we celebrate the uh, Martin Luther posting 95 theses that mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, we quote Ephesians 2 8, it's not by, uh, by works, uh, it's by grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have it put doesn't. so much weight. Yeah, we, we haven't changed. We yeah. haven't changed. We put so much weight on what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so there, be, there came a significant shift for me, and I, I really, I think I can mark it and cut it that space um, is so real and authentic mm-hmm. to me where I shifted the presupposition, the pre- prepositions from for to, f- uh, from for to from. Mm. What does that mean? And for to from for me was I felt like I needed to live for Jesus to get him to like me or to right. get him to be happy with me. And if I keep all the rules and I do all this stuff for him, mm-hmm. um, then, then I'm going to be okay, and if I don't, then I'm a bad boy, and and it's just this vicious cycle of of feeling guilty, mm-hmm. and guilt really drives you deeper into the very things you don't want to do, and so the shift came for me that, um, especially when this revelation came about, uh, image and likeness, and likeness having this idea of development that God's interested in, um, developing us and becoming. Um, 
and um, it's not something stagnant mm -hmm. it's not static it's a dynamic thing that's on the move mm -hmm. and uh, and seeing how Christ assumed our humanity and lived through in every stage and even developed as a young man in his own spirituality and became um, who uh, fully human grew in wisdom and in stature yeah mm -hmm. and that that same pathway is there for me as well and um but the from then came for me in that I, I realized that given the story and the way that it's framed in, in Genesis, um, however you want to interpret that, I, it still comes down to that on the seventh day God rested and enjoyed His creation. And if I was created on the sixth day, then, then my first day as a human being uh, given that Adam represented me, mm -hmm. uh, was a day of rest. So I started life in his embrace, mm -hmm. where he likes me, and mm -hmm. he rests by liking me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that I need to now live from him mm -hmm. and not trying to live f for him. And so I think... I think that's really cool for me, and so, and also just even connecting that in with with the, the fourth commandment, that we are to uh, keep a Sabbath. And I think about the Jews who were in slavery for four hundred years, and they never had a day off. And then, and then uh, God says, "Okay, I want you to have a day off," mm -hmm. uh, and and that's to remind you that I will provide for you. I like you, just for who you are, not for what you can produce for me. Mm -hmm. You know, how many bricks did you make, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this living for was, uh, is this kind of brick-making thing, you know? How many yeah, bricks? Our identity made? gets wrapped up in yeah. what we can do in order to impress this yeah. God who we've, you know, we've been told is so separate from us. Yeah. Who can't look, who can't even be in our, you know, presence. Yeah, and I think I think that for me, especially as I, eventually I became a pastor, and uh, as I... I kind of have this cognitive moral development of my own journey um, and move beyond the, the certainty stages of everything mm -hmm. and, and start thinking about ambiguity and the boxed-in stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, there was, I was able to find these kind of anchors uh, that God's really more interested in my being than my doing. Mm -hmm. And I... Um, Life got a little bit more simpler for me, and uh, probably got more complex for the people in your church. But it got more simple for you. Yeah, and that's why. Yeah, <laughs> I guess why. That's why some of those relationships changed along the way. Isn't that interesting to be the you know spiritual mentor or whatever, mm -hmm. and to be on your own journey? And uh, a lot of people they don't really want their pastor to be on a journey like that. They'd, they'd rather you have it all figured out. Yeah, it's a. Um, uh, uh, people, it's tough. They their lives are complex, and mm -hmm. and so they just they scramble on. They show up maybe two Sundays out of out of six, or mm -hmm. and they life is they try to make sense out of it, and um, and so it's a um, they just really want you to kind of affirm them so they feel safe, mm -hmm. but um, but the pillars that undergird where they live, I see a lot of uh, anxiety, mm -hmm. I see a lot of fear, because the, God is kind of like, He's ready to 
punish you. And there, of course, there's always hell waiting if you don't do yeah, your, right. if you don't pray the prayer or if mm -hmm. you don't say do your part. You mm -hmm. know. So yeah, um, that's kind of a little bit of a a, a nutshell. I think. Uh, on the one hand, you have the judicial. The other, the other mm -hmm. hand, you have the therapeutic. And I, I think I was shaped more in the other. But I, I'm in a much better place. Um, you look great. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. So. Um, okay. So let me see if I can reframe this, and we'll 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 take it a little bit uh, of a different direction. So I'm trying to I'm trying to connect it now with some of my story. Well, you've already connected with my story, but even more so. And you you brought up Mildred Banks Wine Coop. Um, and, you know, growing up in the, the denomination that you did, my family's from that denomination. Um, so when I was young, I heard the preachers talk about wine coop and reference her as nincompoop. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> How interesting is that? I, I've never heard that. That's, you, really? That's, nincompoop. Huh? Yeah, nincompoop. <laughs> okay. And so... You know, and again, those would have been... Sorry, I don't know. What is, what is a nincompoop? <laughs> it's not a South African term. Okay. <laughs> nincompoop is just like a... It's an old slang. You know, it's it's a derogatory. Like okay. this person yeah. is an, basically an idiot. Doesn't yeah, know kind of irrelevant. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So, um, and so I, you know, I come out of that... Uh, Movement that then that movement is also uh, actually it's probably not a movement it's pretty static but it's that whole idea of you know God is separate from us and and we got to be pure to get back to Him and it's a very sacrifice driven uh, purity um, blood driven um, you know to get God to like us um, and and to be able to forgive us and those kinds of things so I come out of all of that and my shift. You know, my thinking has shifted over the years in lots of different ways. And then at some point in the last couple of years, I really started connecting some dots with respect to LGBTQ+. Plus. Mm -hmm. um, and I find all of this uh, just really interesting how then at that point, of course, the former denomination, I mean, just to even begin to question uh, some of those things means you've already stepped over the lines of... You know yeah. what's acceptable and, and yeah. who's in and who's out, which is egregious on one hand because yeah. you were not able to really feel like you were, were able to uh, to uh, wrestle with with just all the the uh, ambiguity, all the the challenges that yeah. this brings to the table. You were yeah. not allowed to even wrestle with that well, in, in community. Absolutely, and what's so fascinating is. You know that those those group of people like that really conservative evangelical kind of mindset that is so dead set against um, being in, inclusive to LGBTQ plus. I don't think it has anything to do with even questions at one level. It might have down the road some with sexuality, but initially it has nothing to do with sexuality. It has everything to do with uh, their view of who God is and how we have to get fixed and purified and into a, a particular state, right, in order to be accepted with him. That just blows my mind. Yeah. That they're not even capable or willing to delve into the deeper stuff right from the very beginning because they have a sacrificial model. Is that am I saying that right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I, I what I'm hearing you saying is, is that uh well, if you're going to use that framework, we all really fit into that framework. If you for that, 
that sacrificial framework that we have to be pure to get into his presence. And mm-hmm. so certain people uh, really just doesn't cut the category um, because... They would never cut it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so there is, if you only want to speak about that within the sin category... Uh, people don't like it when people sin differently than they do. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, and and my own sin. And, yeah. Yeah. But I, I I don't know that um, fundamentally um, these issues can only be framed within a um, in the context of a sin category. Mm. Um, and uh, there has to be a the the orientation or a sexual orientation mm-hmm. that a person is born with, um, in some ways for me, uh, is an amoral category. In other words, uh, we have to ask, can this person take responsibility for that? In other words, can they, by, can they respond to it with their capacity, and, and even given the, the grace of God enabling them mm-hmm. re, and restoring them, if they were to say yes to God's grace, mm-hmm. would that affect a change within their very uh, essence of who they are? Mm-hmm. Um, categorically, can a response to grace rearrange the DNA of your hormones, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, and the makeup of who you are? Mm-hmm. And I struggle with that kind of a uh, thinking. Me too. Um, and uh, when, if you go down the Catholic line, uh, the, uh, the actual uh, Calvinist line, that we are born in sin, <clears throat> and even our brokenness is an expression of sin. It's not, you don't, the, your desires is uh, for Augustine, uh, your you, you use the word concupiscentia yeah. and concupiscence. You know, mm-hmm. the, the mere fact that you have sexual desire is evidence of original sin. I can hear Tom Noble's yeah. voice in my head. With that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so it's kind of like you can't escape this if you're going to come from that angle. Um, that the very makeup of who you are is is. Uh, it's already separated you from God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so it's interesting to me that people then, we put everybody in that category, but we single out yeah. um, the LGBT community that in a special way, that that's right. something very unique for them, that almost, almost, it's almost as if we're not born in sin, mm-hmm. but they are. Mm-hmm. And I, I struggle with the very idea that we're born in sin. Right, so we're we're really yeah. saying two different things here. Yeah, we're saying two different things. So, so I, I agree. But I, I mean, within that framework of their kind of thinking, if you're going to work within their framework, yeah, right, we're we're all broken. Yeah. So why do we single that out? But yes. what you and I are saying, and you're saying it better than me, because um, you understand it better than me, is that oh, let's back up from that. Why do we imagine that we're necessarily born that way? What if we're born in the divine embrace with God? Yeah. That sounds way better to me. Very much so. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I go, and that's why we're a non-denominational church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, just kind of, it's very fascinating about Romans 3.23, uh, how we use that, because mm-hmm. we love to quote, for we have all sinned and fallen mm-hmm. short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. But if you really listen to it, it doesn't say, for we have all fallen short and therefore... Uh, 
we've all uh, fallen short and therefore sin. Mm. It says we we have all sinned and therefore fallen short. Mm. And if we're born that way, then it would be well, we've all fallen short and therefore we sin. That's but but it, it it really doesn't say that. It, well, see, the other thing you've helped me with so much over the last few years is the redefining of sin itself. If if we are fixated on sin being an objective list of things, you know, that that's one way to look at it. Or a sin, back to what we were talking about earlier, um, really is more of a relational thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just easier to approach it from this objective list because then we can check off who's in, who's out. Like you said earlier, what, what sins I like or don't like and, you know... But it's actually much more complex and deeper than that. And I do think lists, you know, potentially are involved at some level, but it's a relational thing. Yeah, we uh, our relationship got broken. And I think that when we talk, quote Romans 5 and through sin, one man, uh, through, uh, one man sin came into the world, but through one man uh, grace came into the world. Um, there is a translation that... Um, Wants to add through Adam, but yeah. in the original text, it's not in there, yeah. you know. Um, and so, but I, I would say that even if we want to say, well, uh, well, but even if it is in there, if we yeah. think in terms of Adam being Adam humanity, yeah, Adam humanity, yeah, versus I, Adam the literal right. guy, right? That even that begins to mitigate that whole debate. Sorry, to, yeah, yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> There is a certain sense that whatever sin was passed on to me and the sense of, of guilt that I could I be punished for the sin that Adam committed, um, I think that was nullified on the cross mm-hmm. when Christ uh, gave his life for us mm-hmm. uh, as an expression of his love and reconciled us by absorbing violence and not retaliating. Mm-hmm. That in a sense, showing us again that that His love is willing to go all, also all the way towards death, mm. uh, not because God sent Him there, but right. it was a it was an expression yeah. or, or as a result have, of His love. Was it, what did He say? I have the I have the ability to lay down my life and to pick it up. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. He wasn't saying God's making me do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think there's a love ethic uh, as a as yeah. a, a way to interpret scripture. It runs kind of like a stream all the way through. Mm-hmm. And so, what's helped me to to uh, as a filter to interpret, especially the Old Testament, and especially the sacrifices and all of that. I I've I've come to a place where I feel like um, that Christ's death, from a priestly perspective is to end sacrifice, mm. not as a fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Um, a sacrifice to end sacrificing. Yeah, yeah. and so um, he, he prefers obedience over sacrifice yes. and mercy. Uh, mercy. And, so, uh, and so as I'm going to look through to the Old Testament, go ahead. Well, well I was going to say, but, but not necessarily that, oh, because his sacrifice is so good and so big, and so that... Uh, Quantitatively, it's bigger than ours. Yeah. He's a, it's a sacrifice to end sacrificing because he reveals in the whole process of it the the ridiculousness of sacrificing marginalized people in the first place. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. of the scapegoating. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I'm scapegoating. I call that an incomplete. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I I think uh, it's 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 fascinating when you you spend time with with Wine Coop and what you saw. Um, I um, I think uh, it is very very significant to me to 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 view things through a relational construct, and uh, I think that when we don't view ourselves as a, as a living being, as, as a soul, or that we are a living bodies, living souls, um, we, we tend to um, uh, kind of um, elevate disembodied kind of non-material essence, uh, or if you want to use a real deep philosophical word, metaphysical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. I want to use that word. Ideas okay. as the, as having more significance than what you see. And for me, the body is um, is the um, the body embedded in community is uh, for me the secret and how we grow relationally mm-hmm. uh, rather what, than what trying. Does that mean? Well, I think that we as babies, we learn to attach by mimicking mm-hmm. um, and by uh, aligning ourselves uh, with each other and the human touch. And uh, there is a certain sense in which the focus really needs to be more outward than trying to go inward. And Gnosticism um, has this idea that my body is evil, my soul is good, this world is evil, heaven is good. So everything is kind of geared to, towards an escape, or salvation becomes an escape, or I, my soul is going to escape the body mm-hmm. when I die, and I'm going to go to heaven through the rapture mm-hmm. when Jesus comes again. Mm-hmm. And this whole world can go to hell in a basket, mm-hmm. who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we de-emphasize the, the body... Romans 12 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. holy and pleasing to God. Um, I think for me, there is there is a mystery there relationally and how important it is to be in community. Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, and God himself in relationship in community. So part of our image and likeness, yeah. the image, well, both, right, is be, emanates from... Yeah. His, his being in relationship. Right. And so I'm going somewhere with that. So I would say... Well, that, I was too. But, yeah, you were... But, but you can go where you want to go. <laughs> so so when, when we uh, de-emphasize the importance of the body um, and we allow Gnosticism, which talks about the secret knowledge that is within us somewhere, and we try to find the answer within ourselves... Um, um, I think I think we really need to rethink that, mm-hmm. um, and so um, because it's built on a false foundation mm-hmm. of Greek philosophy, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that we need to talk about holistic people, and so when we actually uh, can compartmentalize, where people where I can go to church and say, okay, I'm going to have some good thoughts, I'm going to feed my soul today, but my body. Uh, is judging other people, I ignore them, I get involved with sexism and racism and and all those things because the body, that's kind of what it does, or even a body, a group of people uh, engage in that. It is almost like 
the body is not as important as the soul. And so we allow ourselves all these behaviors and compartmentalize them. And in the context of that, I feel like that's some of the foundations about why we treat LGBT community people and judge them. Yeah. Um, because um, we over-sexualize their bodies um, and think that that's the summation of who they are. In the meantime, these are people. Right. And uh, since and plus, when is, yeah. Well, plus we have, the, the church in particular, and I'm culpable because I've been a part of the church, so I'm sure. not necessarily pointing fingers, but yeah. we we don't know what to do with sexuality in general. We're just kind of basically freaked out about it. Yeah. And so you add that layer onto it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, I think the Bible is, uh, if you just take the idea of, of the eunuch, um, it's in a way that yeah. the eunuch is the, the, the trajectory of, of the emerging uh, concept and how it changes and fluctuates. Uh, starting in Deuteronomy 23, where eunuchs were not allowed at the temple, right. I guess it's because they were castrated and they couldn't be circumcised, you know. Yeah. I guess... Um, they were different. They were different. Yeah. And um, and then you get to Isaiah 56, and uh, all of a sudden Isaiah says, well, I guess they're welcome now. And the the migrants and the foreigner and the stranger and, and the eunuchs are welcome at the temple now. But, you know, they can only go as far as the court of the Gentiles anyway. Um, they couldn't go much couldn't further. Couldn't go in, yeah. Yeah, couldn't go in. Yeah. And so, um, and then, then, you, then you get to Jesus, and in Matthew 19, 12, he says, um, some of you, you may not be able to accept this, but for those of you who can, um, some there are some, some, are born, some born that way. Yeah. Eunuchs are born that way. And I was like, what? Yeah. I never saw that, you know? And then he said, uh, some that are made that way. Yeah. And it's like, what? What does he well, mean by that? that you next know? sentence when he says, you know, basically, if you can accept this, great. Yeah. If, if you can't, you can't. I mean, yeah. then he... Then that's the end of the discussion. I imagine when Matthew wrote that, he had no idea what to write next anyhow. Yeah. So he's just like, let's go to another chapter now. I don't right. know what this means. <laughs> and then you go to Acts 8, and Philippus intersecting right. the eunuch on the wagon, right, right. and he ends up baptizing them. And, and then this is really like, and so now I was thinking, okay, so this eunuch, he traveled almost a thousand miles from Ethiopia to go to Jerusalem. And he had to probably cover, go by sea as well. And so he's on his way back. And if he was baptized as a eunuch, the first missionary to Africa yeah. could potentially be been gay. Being gay. <laughs> yeah. And now, what's so bad? There's so many fascinating things about this. Um, I talk. I ha- I've had a personal interaction through email with Dr. James Allison, yeah. who I think is one of the foremost gay theologians in the world. Um, not that I'm a uh, particular expert, but his writings have been so influential on me, and I love the fact that. His writings were influential on me before I knew he was gay. So then when I found out about it after, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But um, anyhow, you and I have had kind of this ongoing discussion about eunuchs over the last few months. And and I did get to put it in my book, which hopefully will be out maybe by the time this podcast is is going live. Um, And one of the the short chapters, you know, I talk about it. But um, Allison says... So, so part of the reason this is so important is he says that there's been a lot of scholarly work done. I think he said scholarly, but he definitely said there's been a work done to show that the term eunuch was a pretty wide term. It didn't mean just that 
the person's reproductive organs had been changed. Yeah. But rather, there are instances where it was applied to a variety of kind of sexual practices, and and probably, most likely, it meant it referred to homosexuality or yeah, same-sex s- attraction. Same-sex yeah. attraction. Mm-hmm. So or, that's or, yeah. So that's part of the reason why this is yeah, uh, it's fascinating. So important. It very much is. And Jesus actually says, if this is what he's referencing, which it seems really likely, hey, if you can accept this, great. Yeah. But if you can't. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of American evangelicals can't accept it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. amazing. When I have conversations about these issues, and and I'm not saying that as someone that is um, have the corner on truth on this, because right. I think um, I love the idea of a third way where mm-hmm. we can, if the church will allow us to, to really wrestle with this, because... Um, they are the LGBT community people are coming to our churches, and how mm-hmm. are we going to extend God's love to them? Mm-hmm. Um, where they don't feel like okay, there is we bait and switch kind of thing, you know. Right. We get them in, and then we switch mm-hmm. on them, you know. Um, and so, whenever I have conversations about this, uh, people always quote to me uh, the the woman caught in adultery, you know, mm-hmm. and and then. Um, but Jesus said uh, to her, uh, go and sin no more, as if to say, if Jesus said that, well, we should say that as well. Right. We should tell the people who are coming, hey, go, you know, don't sin anymore. And um, and so I've really been thinking about that. What what's go- Why do I feel uncomfortable with that? Mm-hmm. And what I've arrived at so far is the, um, uh, we love to call John 3.16, but John three seventeen is right out. It says, "I've not come to condemn the world," mm-hmm. but we don't like to talk about that. No. And um, and so what I've arrived at is that Jesus says, "Judgment belongs to me," and we've taken that upon ourselves to judge people. Yeah, because we think, well, because Jesus did, we can do it too. But we're not Jesus, and and. I think it's almost like we put ourselves on the bank of the river and all the sinners are swimming on the bank of the river and we are there with Jesus pulling them out of the river. But the truth is, is that we're all in the river. We're all in the river. And yeah. Jesus is the only one on the bank. Yeah. And so when he says to women, go and sin, go and sin no more, it's not giving us permission that we can also do that. Yeah. Um, and so for, we're, we're not very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, and so the, and my other thought on that was, it's like, well, why... Why is it such a, new, a big deal? Um, because there's a lot of other th- things that we can focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what I've concluded is, is that the evangelical Christians, um, would l- they, they want to make sure that sin remains sin in the public arena. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid that if we let go on this then everything gets kind of on the slippery slide and everything slides mm-hmm. and and if you allow this then what else are you allowing right. in the meantime uh, forgetting how how we turn the other way when when people sleep together or oh word, pornography yeah. or so many things that yeah. we just don't even right. pay any attention to yeah. um, not to mention systemic yeah. Sin that we're all involved in yeah. every day. Systemically, yeah. yeah. And so I think by wanting to keep uh, sin uh, to be still sin in the public arena, we we ignore the main component of that, and that is compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, compassion to to people 
um, who are stigmatized and scapegoated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my posture to the LGBT community is really, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that book, uh, Blue Like Jazz? I think. Yeah. Donald didn't Miller. He, didn't he put like a a tent in the middle of the football field and uh, people come by and, and they says, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you I'm yeah, sorry. There's something about that on the college campus. <laughs> on the college campus. Yeah. And I think we should do the same. I think that's basically our only hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, my goodness. Okay. So we're tracking that over an hour now. Oh, really? Yeah. And I feel like we just got started. So. Wow. Yeah. So now i got to figure out if I'm going to break this up into two or one or seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but we we should do this again. So we'll, we'll I'll have I'll have you back. We'll talk some okay. more. Well, it's a privilege, and uh, yep. I, I I say these. Um, the more I study, the more I realize how very little I know. Mm. And uh, I say that with great humility. Yes, uh, I feel know. the same way. I don't. I'm not as humble as you, but I feel the same way. <laughs> but uh, what is? Uh, Oh gosh, is it Archibald? I can't remember his name, but it's the phrase that's been on my mind the last couple of months. The the larger our uh, island of knowledge, the greater our shore of ignorance. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel too. Yeah. So, all right, thanks, man. Hey, you're welcome. Gracias. Thanks for being with me and Dr. Johan today. Hey, if you've got comments or questions, you can leave those right on SoundCloud. Or you can Facebook me, Jonathan Foster, author. Not that I have answers to all your questions, but I do have responses. And I am trying to create a safe place for people to ask. Wouldn't that be nice to have a safe place? Doesn't that sound like something that love would want us to do? Instead of all the fear and garbage we have to deal with, all the anxiety. That's a good way to end today with the reminder that in the end... Fear has no place. Perfect love casts out all fear. That's not to say there aren't issues we've got to work through, but love is our hope. All right, have a great day.